The Stages podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which our artists and audiences meet. We pay our respect to past, present and emerging elders. We acknowledge the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. With episodes now passing the 300 mark in the Stages archive, it's time that we revisit conversations featured in our previous seasons. Stages spotlight such episodes in case you miss them the first time around, or so that you can simply savour a second listen. Either way, you'll be accessing precious oral histories from the people who were there on and around our stages. Elizabeth Butcher is a champion of the performing arts in Australia. An administrator of considerable brilliance, she has steered many of our arts organisations to prominence, accolade, survival and celebration, nationally and on the world stage. Elizabeth was the Dynamic General Manager of the National Institute of Dramatic Art for nearly 40 years, and together with its director John Clark, steered the school to become a flagship training ground for arts practitioners, many of whom have progressed to be triumphant on global stages. It was Elizabeth who found the site of the Sydney Theatre Company, an abandoned wharf in Walsh Bay, who upon discovery knew it would be the perfect home for a theatre company. She was present at the beginnings of the Sydney Theatre Company and managed the move of the old Tote Theatre Company to the newly built Sydney Opera House for its finale season of plays. She has served on countless boards too, contributing to a variety of arts disciplines and institutions. She has made an immense contribution to the cultural life of Australia. It was my great privilege to celebrate Elizabeth Butcher in the second season of The Stages podcast, It is a remarkable career and one we acknowledge again today in revisiting this episode. Elizabeth, thank you for giving me your time this morning to talk on stages. Can I start with this question? uh, Can you give me three adjectives which you think best describe you? Oh, heavens, that's... That's putting you on the spot, isn't it? That's putting me exactly We'll, We'll dive straight in. Like, are you, are you an ambitious person? Not necessarily um, ambitious. I'm a workaholic. I'm a kind person. Uh, and I'm a pretty good listener to people. I don't know if that sort of answers your question. No, that's perfect. Hmm. Workaholic. Hmm. You obviously enjoy the work, though. Oh, I loved it. I think the greatest thing that ever happened to me was the job that I got at MIDA when it was this tiny little school um, up on uh, High Street in Kensington in tin sheds and uh, a grandstand that had belonged to the, used to be a race course on that site and it was the jockey's uh, grandstand building and the totalisator and and it was a wonderful job. I learned every single day something new. We're blessed, aren't we, if we have a, a job that doesn't seem like a job, that, no. that it is a hobby, that yeah. it's going to stimulate us in yes. some, some sort of way. You're one of the country's most significant arts administrators, I would say. Everybody recognises mm. that, which is an extraordinary achievement, with uh, roles at the Australia Council, the Sydney Opera House, um, the Old Tote, and of course NIDA, which we've just touched on, and we'll touch mm. on more of that through the interview. Is there any event that you're most proudest of? I think 
again, it goes back to NIDA. I think uh, raising the money and persuading the government to provide resources necessary to build that new building for the school at 215 Anzac Parade. That was a very significant achievement, I think, that I did. And one other, I, uh, I found that wharf, wharf number four, uh, because I was asked to by the Premier to find something for the old tote when it went into liquidation and there was no development down there at that time. And he said, Premier Rand came to look at that wharf with me after I'd found it, and he said the, the new theatre company could have it. Where were you born? I was born in Gundagai in, in uh, New South Wales. And were your family an artistic family? Not at all. My father was an accountant in the town. And uh, uh, no, not at all. And I had never really thought anything very much about going into theatre or doing anything like that. And uh, so uh, I lived in Gundagai and I was sent to Skeek Starlinghurst as a boarder uh, in the f early 50s because Gundagai didn't have a high school and my mother believed very strongly in education for girls. So you went to boarding school at about age 11 or 12? Oh, no. Uh, no. Yes, 11 yep. or 12. Yes, right. That, that's right. And in those years, it was only five years to get the high school. No, it was called the leaving, leaving. certificate. Yes, yes. And uh, so I got that. And then with other friends, stupidly, I decided to do pharmacy. And so off I went to Sydney University to do pharmacy where I hadn't done chemistry at Skeggs. And, of course, in the second year I failed. And I thought, let me out of here. And that's what I did. And I did a typing course, um, went overseas for a little while, came home. And then not very long after it, I saw this little ad in the paper that says, Bursa Wanted, University of New South Wales or something like that. And I applied. Because I thought, oh, bursas are like an accountant. My dad's an accountant. Not that I know anything about it. And <laughs> <laughs> so no accounting qualifications. No, 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 no qualifications whatsoever. Um, what was it like going to boarding school as an eleven-year-old, leaving leaving your family in the country and travelling to the city? Um, I also enjoyed that tremendously. It was a fantastic life. There weren't many of us. There were six, only sixty boarders all up, and. Uh, you're only allowed out uh, for two weekends and one Saturday per term. So that meant that you were at the school for a lot of the time. And uh, we just used to have good fun. You know, the school would organise a little event or take us out or do something on the other time. But I really, really enjoyed my my time at the school. Was there much exposure to the arts at that point? Drama, N art, No, music? not a great deal, uh, n no. But the school taught you resilience and uh, to be able to stand on your own two feet and to abs probably to have an ambition to do better for yourself and, uh, uh, and to d make a contribution to something. And so the school taught me a lot. And I, in my early days at night, I, I always reflected back on my school days and how I pulled on strengths that I got from my school to do that job at NIDA. Were you a good student? 
Yes, I was. I I wasn't the brightest. I was in. I think in my year they had three classes, A, B and C, and I think I was B. But uh, I did pass the leaving certificate and I did get enough credits, whatever, to go to university to do the pharmacy. So that's what I did. What sort of child were you back in Gundagai? How did you amuse yourself? Did you have siblings? Yes, I I was the eldest and I have a brother and a sister. Do you know what? I can't really remember how we entertained ourselves... Really, we lived in the town. Uh, my father's clients were mostly graziers. And so I had lots of friends. And you'd go to play tennis at someone who lived, you know, 10 miles out of town this way. Or, you you know, you'd uh, just fairly ordinary things. I used to walk to school. And, um, yeah, I can't really think how I've used myself. Well, I, I, think I grew up in a, a small country town also, mm-hmm. and it was about, um, well, you really had to amuse yourself. So mm-hmm. it was exploring the bush. Were you close mm-hmm. to the bush? Yes, although I did live in the town, but a lot of my friends lived in the bush. Right. And my parents were friends with a lot of people. They'd been there. Um, well, my father was born in Gundagai, so he had been in, in the town for a long time. Right. Yeah. I fondly remember Guy Fawkes Night. I don't know how we survived. I but building bonfires and I did. We yeah. did it in the paddock across the road and, <laughs> and we built bonfires, you know. And they used to, my mother used to hope that the the sparks from the fire didn't land in the box of the fireworks that you had there. It was always a fairly dangerous experience. It was extremely dangerous. <laughs> I mean you'd light a cracker yeah, in your fingers right. and that's you'd sort right. of I, I'm glad I just released that cracker before yeah. it exploded. And those little banger things that you threw. Oh, yeah. Yes, we did that. We yeah. did that in the paddock across from our house in Gundagai. And what about pets? Yes, we had a dog, uh, a fox terrier named Mac for most of the time. I think Mac was called after General McCarthy in the war, but the <laughs> We had a fox terrier too. They're, mm. they're mad. Mm. We used to chase the hose. <laughs> we had oh, yes, and we used to... We used to cool by being under the hose, I mean, under the sprinkler. That's right, that we'd run under the sprinkler. sprinkler. Fantastic. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So yeah. we did all and those And then, things. of course, the drought and all those water restrictions. So the children today don't know what good fun and is. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Who were some of the adults in your childhood who were strong influences or inspirational? Now, these could be people you knew or people on a world stage. That's a hard one as well. Teachers, neighbours, <laughs> relatives. Yeah, well, both my parents were very influential on me. Uh, my, uh, and they were wonderful parents. And uh, I had an aunt in Sydney when I came to Skeggs who was very influential uh, to me as well. She, uh, she was the one that used to take me out when I had free weekends. And she showed me Sydney really and she lived at Gladesville and uh, that had a lot of bush around that we used to go and explore and be careful we didn't get ticks and uh, um, but then in the school there was um, I enjoyed um, the English teacher and the art teacher you you know interesting classes I I don't think that I can say that anyone... There were 
a whole host of influences. Whole, yeah. whole host to of open influences. your mind to. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and that's what Skeggs did. It opened my mind from the country as to what could be. We we hope that our schooling has a huge impact on it. Mine certainly mm. certainly did, uh, but yours obviously more so because you're still involved with the school. Yes, and I. I enjoy it, and I think it's a fantastic school. Um, I look at, and, and I am very proud that uh, my nephew, who works in New York, I won't say where he, who he works for, he works in New York, but he has two little girls, and he is coming back next year, and they're both going to go to Skeggs. Terrific. And, and so I'm really, really thrilled about that, and uh, yeah, so that's what they're going to do. So you land a role as a bursar. I land a role as a bursar. At the University of... New South Wales. New South Wales. Mm-hmm. How was that? Were you found out quickly that you didn't know much about accounting? or? <laughs> well, the thing is, there are only three members of the staff. Right. And we only had 26 students and, you know, it was all that kind of thing. And I suppose... Yeah, and so I just managed everything. I think was just a sort of a bit of an innate ability. I enjoyed it and I learned very quickly as to what I had to do, how I, you know... John would say to me, we're going to have an audition tour. Well, you know, not many people audition way back in those kinds of days. So this is John Clark? This is John Clark. When did you first meet John Clark? I met him... I didn't meet John Clark till I went for the interview. Right. Mm. And... Uh, which was in 1969. And... Um, NIDA hadn't been going very long. I think the first intake of students, or the first graduating here, was 1960. And I went in 69. Right. So, so that the, the kind of students that were... And I soon learned everyone who'd been a graduate. I mean, I knew who Robin Nevin was, and Robin Nevin once came and shared a, a flat with me when she came from Tasmania back to Sydney. But, you know, Carmen Duncan and John Gregg, I knew them all. And uh, I, they knew who I was as well. You mm. must, must have built an extraordinary bond with a lot of the students. You would have seen thousands of students come yeah. through the place uh, over the years. Drama school can be a very challenging time for mm. a young person. Uh, did you have some sort of maternal role to those students? Yes, I think, I think that is true. I never interfered with the arts. The art, I mean, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't, so I never interfered. But I could help them in other ways. And uh, if they had some terrible woe, or if they wanted some financial assistance, anything they wanted, or if they were unhappy or sad or whatever, I was one they'd come to. They'd come into my office. When did the old tote come about? Because you were general manager of the old tote. Was that the same time? Um, I. How a lot of this occurred was I had had an argument with the chairman of NIDA at that time and there was a job going which was within the New South Wales uh, cultural grants part uh, organisation, the organisation anyway that gave out grants in New South Wales. And after I got that job... I then just, I patched it up with my NIDA chairman. I really didn't want to go. And so I got seconded. Neville Rand seconded me instead. And so I did go to work in 
that division of cultural activities for a period of time. And I used to go to, back to NIDA after work to do my, after my government job, back to NIDA to carry on my work. So you were, you were serving two, two, serving jobs, two masters. Two masters. <laughs> but one of the main things that I had to do was the old tote went into liquidation. And, and we should say the old tote was the forerunner of the STC. Was it, it was. It was a, 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 a it was a theatre. It was a theatre company that was established by NIDA in in the sixty in nine, about nineteen sixty three, I think, and it it was to give an opportunity really for graduates to, to practice their art. to practice their art yep. and members of the NIDA staff to have to be able to direct design, um, whatever, yeah, yes, that's right. Shows, yeah. Yes, and so... Um, and also, I, I suppose the city uh, craved some sort of opportunity like that to, as an audience. That's absolutely right, yeah. yes. And so it was a very... And it was a tin shed. It was that tin shed that's still there. I think it's uh, used for theatre... Uh, uh, for the stu drama students. Um, I didn't have much to do with the old toad because when... John Clark got the job as the director of NIDA in that same year. Robin Lovejoy got the job as director of the Old Tote. And shortly after I got to NIDA, the Old Tote moved away from NIDA and they went down to Anzac Parade to what it was known as the original Parade Theatre. It's not there now. That's where NIDA's new building is. But uh, that's, So the actual Old Tote moved down there. And they continued to present their plays down there, and the tin shed uh, became NIDA's theatre. And uh, so I really didn't have much to do with um, the old tote per se. I mean, I used to go to the theatre and things, but I uh, I had nothing to do with it formally. And it wasn't until I was seconded to the the government that it went into liquidation, which I think was about 1979. And what I was asked to do was to organise and present the last five plays that people had bought on subscription uh, from uh, the old toad. Because by this time, uh, and I think it was probably in 1973, the old toad became the resident theatre company at the Opera House. So they had those two theatres working. And when it went into liquidation, they had five plays to go, I think. Three at the Opera House and two out at the parade. So the Opera House was, uh, I'm trying to remember, that was very new. That yes, was, it, it was opened, opened in 73. Right. Yes, yes, right. And so the Old Tote was, was the company that had the residency of the drama theatre. And um, so it was my job... Uh, to manage that. To, to manage that, to get those plays on. And as the directors were already appointed and the actors were already selected, I didn't have to do a great... But I, I had to um, uh, just organise everyone to get there and to be there and to know what was happening because there was a great deal of fuss because it had actually gone in. So I worked with uh, the liquidator uh, for a good period of time as well as going back to NIDA to do my jobs late in the afternoon. Was, was a lot of that learning on the job? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I and I think that every time I learned something, it just stayed there, and so I just moved on. So you kept and, building your skills. Yes. And, uh... and, and then, then 
when it was finally all over, the Premier said to me, we are not going to buy the building. Um, the old toad had a building out along O'Riven Street in Alexandria where they had rehearsal rooms, they had the costumes and they made the sets. So that was their building that they had bought. And I, I think probably the purchasing by the old toad of that building overextended themselves. And that was one of the reasons. And the Premier said, I'm not buying that building. I don't want that building. I want you to find a government building that won't cost us anything, that this new company that we will form um, can operate from. So I started looking. and I So there were, there, were, there were plans afoot to create a new theatre company? Yes, because... A uh, state theatre company? A state, yes, although he wouldn't call it a state theatre company, but the leading company in Sydney, and his main aim was to have a company that performed at the Opera House. So was this Neville Rand's idea to create a state theatre company? Oh, or yes. who whispered in his ear? Or? Uh, well, uh, uh, all he, because I was working, there was a man called Jerry Gleeson, who was the Secretary of the Department, who was a fantastic... If anyone, uh, you could, uh, I would have liked to have been like Jerry. He was the most fantastic uh, uh, administrator, confidant and whatever to, uh, to Rand. And all they wanted was a company that was stable that would operate uh, for the Opera House. They didn't want that to be empty or to be casually occupied by anyone. They wanted... In the drama theatre, the so theater they wanted the to theater. house that. Because right. there was already the opera company and there was a ballet company. You know, there were all those. They wanted a major uh, theatre company. So when did he decide that perhaps we want... Or I, I, I guess the, the wharf wasn't the... Uh, predicted home for that no. company. They just wanted a government building. They just want a government building. Right. So um, I started this looking by being given, because I was at that time seconded to the government, I started looking at, and I looked at bus depots and uh, I would ring up various organisations and say, um, I'm looking for property for the government. Do you have anything to show me? And I'd go and see things. So you weren't working through agents or anything like that? No, you no. You were just doing just the ring around. <laughs> and there was someone who worked also called David Hill who went on to be the, the ABC chair. Yeah. And David Hill one day, because he was working in, in for the Premier at the time, and he said, did you go to the Maritime Services Board? And I said, no. And then I rang up a little man. And he took me and he showed me that wharf. He had a huge chatelaine of keys on his belt and he fiddled and diddled and got in. And I walked into that building and all there was there were pigeons and nothing else and no pillars. The great thing that I had learned, you cannot have a pillar in the middle of a rehearsal room. It's simply not done. So I was always looking for pillarless space. And so... Yes, and so he showed me that, and I thought, this is it. I walked the length, looked out the water. So I went to back to, and said to the Premier, oh, I sent it to Gleeson, I found one I think would be fine. And about a week later, um, uh, the Premier um, went down to see it, and he turned to me and he said, you can have it. And that was that. That's brilliant. I mean, it's the most ideal location. Oh, I know. Uh, just at the end of that wharf, onto the harbour, mm. views of the mm. Luna Park, the Harbour Bridge, mm. the Opera House. Mm. It was mm. perfection. Because the only development was, in that time, uh, the first wharf 
had suddenly, we'd just started to be commercially uh, right under the bridge and it just started commercially. I think they had a cafe and it was not really done up. So there was really nothing down on Hickson Road, nothing. And now it's become quite, quite Sydney's um, arts precinct. Yeah. Yes, um, with yeah. the ATYP and yeah. Bangar and Sydney yeah. Dance. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I didn't... Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know how they're going to do it, and and so you know we worked together. I uh, um, then Ran asked me whether we uh, how would they put on plays for the following year for the this new company, which was we called. We said, and there's always an argument who's who said the name. Was it me? Was it John? Was it someone else? But we decided, or in my view, it should be called Sydney, simply because if it was meant for Sydney, because if it was any other name, if it was the National, maybe that it would have to tour, and I didn't know where they were going to get the money from or how they... So let us just call it a Sydney Theatre Company and operating in the Opera House at that time. Because it was... No, the MTC had been going, hadn't it? That, it that, had. Out of yes, the union yes, rent. Yes. So that, that was the only other state theatre company that, in the country. That's right. Yeah. And the Premier didn't want it to be a state theatre company as such, it was to be funded by the Australian Council. And uh, so an interim board was appointed and I was asked to present, uh, I think, five or six plays at the Opera House. I asked John to be the artistic director of that and he agreed and so he oversaw the selection of the six plays that were to go on at the Opera House and we tried to think who would we ask, how would we ask them and so we thought to be fair maybe we should ask the artistic directors of the established theater, small theatre companies in Sydney. So that was how we got. So at, just about at that time Jim Sharman had had the Paris Theatre Company. Yes, yes, yes. they for a while. And, yeah. um, he and Rex Cramphorn, so both of those were graduates of NIDA, so we asked both of them to uh, select a play in this new six-play season that we're going to do. And uh, the ensemble was asked, and uh, they selected an American, I think his name was Bobby Lewis, to do their play. Um, who else was there? So I've got three. Uh, anyway, I had to think what the other plays were. I, I should have come better oh, prepared. Right. I, just, I just had a thought. I'm, I'm a great believer in happy accidents. Mm. And if we just rewind a little bit, unless you'd had that Barney with the chairman mm. at NIDA at the time, none of this would have happened. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely and utterly correct. And um, so the season uh, was... Uh, Oh, and Nida did one. Jo I mean, John did one. John directed a play. With Rex Cramphorn did The Lady of the Comedians with Kate Fitzpatrick. Jim did the Patrick White play with Robin Nevin. Uh, uh, Mrs. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you know, Cherry Soul. Cherry Soul. And the ensemble did a play. Long Day's Journey into Night, I think that's what right. they did. And... Uh, who was the next one? Anyway, I'll think about that in a minute. Was it Richard? When did Richard come along? Richard Werrett? No. Um, after that year, 
they advertised for an artistic director of this of the new Sydney Theatre Company, and Richard was the selected first director of the Sydney Theatre Company. That is when he came into being. Now John Bell directed a play. Anyway, I have to think about that. I, I All these uh, Australian luminaries <laughs> in the theatre who <laughs> yeah. were there at the, yeah. at the ground floor. Yes, and so I. I had nothing to do with the selection of the artistic director for the new theatre company. Uh, there was a small three-man board that had been appointed by the government. Tony Llewellyn-Jones was one of those uh, directors, and they selected Richard. And I worked for Richard for a little while because the, um, the wharf wasn't ready to house the theatre company. and. Uh, Vivian Fraser had been selected. He'd already done that Nimrod. Oh, it would have been Nimrod. Nimrod was the other yes, company. Yes, the other yeah, company, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes, well, yes. I'm saying John Bell thinking we're Nimrod. And that's really and, nice. Uh, um, and Vivian Fraser, who'd done Nimrod Street uh, as the architect, he was invited to... Uh, design, design the, 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 yes, the Wharf Precinct. Yeah. Yes. And, but it wasn't ready. And uh, the Richard worked, I think, for a while out of the Elizabethan Theatre company's offices here in South Darling Street. Anyway, so when Richard was appointed, he offered me the job to stay on. But, you know, somehow or other, I just miss Nida. Um, Nida was a vibrant, refreshing place. And every year there were new students. There were You've new got that people. incredible energy being... Yes. Invested yes. in the place every yes. year, injected. And uh, I loved the new students. And I realised that in the presentation of plays, as an administrator or a general manager, you just sat in your office. You didn't get the opportunities that I had to be part of something that I had when I was at NIDA. Yeah. So I decided that I would rather go back full-time to NIDA. I left the government service and I just went back to NIDA. NIDA had a fantastic technique that they developed over the years of, of selecting students. And I wasn't part of that selection. Right. Uh, because I believe that you needed to delineate between the art and the business. And, where, and so my business crossed over into the art once I was selected. Because then I helped them. How are they going to get to Sydney? Where would they find a flat? Where would they live? How much did they need? Were they going to had to have a scholar that was my that then that became my role rather than me sitting in a, a rehearsal room and I never marked someone and said he's got talent but you could always tell yeah. you could always tell so both you and John Clark were quite a formidable partnership we you were. steered that ship yes we were for 40 years N nearly for, yes. yes which yeah. is extraordinary yeah. so so you you were the business side and yeah. John's the artistic side yes that's right but uh, but you see, then I also got along all. all, all. See, Kevin was a Kevin, Kevin Jackson, Jackson yeah. was a student in I think uh, the first full year I had at NIDA, which was nineteen seventy, and so then I became a sort of a lifelong friend of his after that. And uh, there were many others that did the same. That were that students you still, have, still have relationships, and that with. I still have yeah. a relationship. Lots of them today, and I see them when I go out, and you know. Um, so I guess you don't really miss being at NIDA now because no, you have all those relationships it was because I became tired too I mean yeah. I didn't resign and <laughs> retire till I was 70 and so it was a long career because what we haven't said is 
After I went back to NIDA, then all the fun began because I was appointed chairman to the Opera House. I was appointed and I was appointed chairman of the Theatre Board of the Australia Council. I was a member of the Australia Council. So how did how did all of that come about? Were you invited? People yeah, started the, to recognise you as somebody well, who would maybe be a great they asset? did. Yeah. I, I did. I don't know, but it was the government who pointed me to the Opera House again. Uh, uh, going. Act to Neville Ran. Uh, I was appointed to the Opera House. No, uh, yes, and uh, I think who appointed me, I don't know. Um, but but they were obviously somebody wise. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, you know it was the federal government. I was good at um, getting money from the government for the school. I mean, I think I had a sense. Uh, I did all that. See, that was the business side. I did. All the fundraising that we ever did, I did all the government liaisons. But over many years, you're building those relationships. Also. Yes, that's right. People are trusting you. Yes, they know, yeah. and it sort of just grew and grew. And so, I mean, I was a member of the council of the University of New South Wales for a period of years. I was uh, a member of the Seymour Centre Board. You know, there were just so many extra things that I took on. So, Did you ever have a night at home? <laughs> That's why living in Paddington was terrific. I could come from Nida here in sort of 20 minutes and then quickly change and go to the city. Uh, and so, yes, and I, and I just enjoyed it. And it was just... But when I retired, I, I retired and uh, I just kept two different sorts of boards or, or three. One of the other boards that I'm on now, other than Skeg Starling House, which I absolutely love, is that I'm on the Naysta board. Oh, brilliant. And I love being there and, and using my NIDA knowledge, if I can, to assist in anything that I know. Although they sometimes look at me and think, oh, that's a bit old-fashioned. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the way in which I uh, accrued funds to build things or to get things and yeah so can we talk about a play which is probably one of the seminal works of the Australian theatre canon and that's Don's Party mm. it premiered to great success at the Pram Factory in Melbourne mm. tell me about the Sydney production and how that came about well that again is another <laughs> funny story you see I never read a play because I thought if I read plays <laughs> I can do everything and I thought that's not I'll leave that to John. <laughs> so, John went overseas, and of course it was... A bit, I don't know, I, he must have flown overseas. There must have been planes at the time. But he went overseas, and I remember getting a letter. It was in a letter that he said to me, I want a play... I want some plays to be considered for our little theatre at Jane Street, up behind NIDA. NIDA had that theatre in Jane Street. I did, we didn't even talk about Jane Street. That's uh... Oh, that was our great theatre company up there. Um, I th for NIDA graduates or no, when, it, we, when they were we used it to uh, we used it for student productions and we also used it for professional season every year. Right. Jane Street was a very very special uh, theatre, and if you went into the new John, I can tell you all about Jane Street. But NIDA owned this theatre, which we did student plays, and once every year we did new Australian work. And as a matter of fact, when John first interviewed me for the job, he was directing a play 
at Jane Street at the time and it was very difficult for me actually to see him very much and so I'm running the school while he's doing a professional production for Jane Street. However, in, in about 1972, uh, he was overseas, he wrote me a letter and he said, have you started looking for, for some plays for Jane Street? He said, ring Catherine Brisbane and ask her for some plays. So I did. And Catherine Brisbane delivered me a pile about a foot high of plays. So I so I don't I never read plays. Never I have never to this day read a play. So I looked at the titles. And about the third play I came across, it was called Dawn's Party. And I turned over the first... Oh, I thought, well, that sounded better than some of the others that I was looking at. And I turned over the first few pages and John Clark had a way with words. He used to shock me. He used <laughs> rude words. And I was a little girl who'd not long ago come from Skeggs and a very nice family in the country. And I think John absolutely enjoyed shocking me. Shocking me. And... Uh, this had some very rude words on the first page. I'm not going to repeat them on this, what they were. And I thought, that's a play for John. And I put it in my drawer and I gave the rest of the pile to Alex Hay. And when John came back, I said, here you are, I found your play. I didn't know anything about the pram factory or that had been on down there or anything like that. So you just read a couple of pages yes. full of dirty words. words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that's for John. So, and then it was a great success here. I mean, Again, a happy accident. Happy accident. <laughs> and you, I... And I remember one night, because then, so in the evening, this is why I was busy, I used to be the front of house. Jane Street, night, it didn't matter where it was, I was the front of house manager, because we had no money. Right. I mean, Nida had absolutely zero money, really. I mean, when I started there, I think with our 26 students, we got something like $43,000. Wow. And that came through the Elizabethan Theatre Trust at that time. This was before the Australian Council. And uh, after the Australian Council came into being, we transferred over to be funded by them. But then, again, good fortune, after a while, I used to argue that it was unfair that a school should be funded at the expense of artists who we were training. We were in competition with our product. Yes. And that was not right. Yes, no. And so we were the first school out to be taken on by Canberra as one of the national schools. And then shortly after, there are eight of them today. But that was one of the very, very, very best things that I could do. There was someone in, the, in that department in Canberra called Cathy Santa Maria of the Santa Maria fame and she was marvellous and she helped me and we got ourselves established to be funded by the government away from the Australia Council and really neither then funding wise sort of took off. And what were some of the day-to-day -day challenges of running a place like NIDA? Um, <clears throat> to keep it independent. After we became successful, the university wanted us. Well, we see Wapa go the way that's lost its autonomy. That's mm -hmm. part of Edith Cowan University yeah. now in Perth. Yes. And that w I could see that that would be no good because we worked hours that no university school or department worked. 
we did things. Our students did things. They wanted to come in and rehearse on Saturday and have the building open and things at the university. They had rules and regulations for everything because they're such a big organisation. They have to have these rules. I tried my very best not to have rules and regulations like that because they were all artists and they needed to be free, really. And I, I think that was one of my biggest achievements for in all those years, talk, uh, keeping away for an amalgamation. I love the university. I mean, there was no question, and I love being on the campus, but what I didn't want was to be under their jurisdiction in any way because they used to complain about how much money NIDA got per student as opposed, and one professor told me once, you get more money than I get for my medical students. You see, so I can imagine being in the university, the government giving us this money, and I'm saying, no, why are they getting all that? <laughs> and so I just kept away from ever, ever being amalgamated with the university. And I also did that about the land, the land where the New United Theatre is on Anzac Parade, that has a lease for 100 years from the Commonwealth. Uh, uh, and it is a Commonwealth building, uh, 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 but it's not the university's building, it is NIDA's building. So the land has been leased by the Commonwealth from the University of New South Wales, and then the Commonwealth put that building on. And Richard Alston was, a, was the minister who, who told me that we'd got that money for that new building. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. You were one of the very first training schools in the country there's an abundance of them now. Do you mm. think there, there can be too many training schools in a, a country like ours, a small country like ours? Look, so many young people have this extraordinary ambition to be an actor. And I think if they're handled right that you might never make it, but as in the profession as such, and you always try and encourage them to think about something else and to do something else, uh, but when they take it for real and they have very big expenses to pay and they have hex loans and have all sorts of things, sometimes I wonder how fair it is because you know that the profession hasn't kept up with them to be a, in order to enable them to do work. And so if they want to be a teacher, they have to go and do extra qualifications to be a teacher. And sometimes that becomes very hard. And uh, I do worry about too many theatres and the quality of the training but I know it's a cost and if you don't get into NIDA and you don't get into WAPA or the VCA it gets hard and no matter how talented you are yeah. there's no guarantee of success there is no guarantee of success no what was it like running an iconic venue like the Sydney Opera House as chairman yes <laughs> Well, my claim to fame in my time there, I got the car park built. Brilliant. <laughs> the, the, the corkscrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. Car park but look, it, it was also a, another very big job because, of course, you were very close to the government. It, it was owned by the government. So uh, there was never any question of what you had to do. And, um, but it was a very young time. I mean, it was very young. But it was a great symbol for this. It was the most privileged thing I think that ever happened to me was to be appointed the chair. I think I was the fourth, the third or the, f the no, probably the fourth chairman in a, uh, since its inception. 
and I I was very proud of that. Uh, it it was wonderful, and I worked extremely hard. And but I was also very lucky in so far as that the general manager of the opera house was a theatre person. It was Lloyd Martin. He came from a family of theatre people, and he'd run theatres before. So we like John and I had a had a very close relationship professionally. At NIDA, I also had the same sort of relationship at the Opera House. And we got along well, and there was we never, ever had any problems at all. You're serving on a lot of boards, I imagine, where you're the only woman, perhaps? Were there many women serving on boards and in the roles that uh, you not were a, no, 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 not a great number. No, not Was that a, difficult, dealing with all those men? No, I never found it difficult dealing with all those men because usually for the job at hand, I knew more than them. What is difficult is if you're the only theatrical person on a board, whether they're men or women, that is their lack of understanding. And so that was why I did get along quite well because people who, the general managers or the artistic directors of the companies that uh, performed uh, at the in, in the opera house knew that I was a theatrical person and so it's a bit you know they could talk to me about their, the difficulties that they may be having and I could understand the problems that they were under uh, that they were having because of my background really but today on other boards Skeg's boards is different because a, num a great number of them are parents, so they have an understanding. But on other boards that I've been, um, no one understands. Very much. A lot of lawyers are often appointed to boards. I don't know why I, I sit on, I'm not going to say which one, but I do sit on a board currently where John sits on it and Kevin sits on it, Kevin Jackson and John Clark sit on it and me, and all the rest are lawyers. That's a bit hard. Yes. So, um, yes. I, I guess people assume that the legal brain has a certain knowledge, but, but on you, paper, perhaps. But Yes, but you see, on the Naista board, we have one lawyer. All the others are either from the Indigenous community who talk about the art. They talk about the training. They talk about where the students are going. I mean, they're very proud of the school at Naista at the minute. I think 12 out of the 18... Um, professional dancers for Bangara are graduates of that school. Right. And so, you know... So board members have to know the yeah. product that they are managing. Yes, but yeah. often they don't. Right. Yeah. But Naista board do, Skeg's board do. But um, others don't. Uh, it helps their CV. <laughs> <laughs> have the arts been supported by federal and state governments as much as they should have been, do you think? I mean, the current climate's a concern, perhaps. The current climate's a concern. And, and the other thing that I never did, I never, NIDA was never funded by the state. I wanted to be federal. I wanted to be that national. I wanted NIDA to be the national school. So I never applied to the state government of New South Wales, which could make it a, a New South Wales school. And that was a pro part of the problem that the VCA had. They had state money as well as federal money. And that I didn't ever have. NIDA was never funded by the state, only by the feds. And uh, I, I think it's very difficult for these schools. But then again, do departments these days follow 
what's happening in the schools as well as they could. Um, I just don't know. I just don't know. Yes, who's evaluating the courses? Who's evaluating? Keeping, monitoring them, keeping an eye, an eye on them. Yeah. Seeing where their graduates go. I remember I got uh, a Foxtel here in, when it was soon in Australia, whenever it was, and I watched television when I could so that if I ever met a minister of the Commonwealth, I could have this wonderful talk about what NIDA was doing and what our latest graduate was in, where they were going, whether, what they were doing maybe in New York or Los Angeles or London. Or just to keep them going like that. But I did. that was the sort of homework I did. I wanted to know where every graduate was. And I know where a lot of them are today as well. That's brilliant. Yeah. Why are the arts vital to a society? Well, it's your cultural heritage. Um, you know, there were other arguments that I used to have. Because we trained at NIDA students to be able to work in television, I used to think that if we turn out an actor uh, that is fantastic on television, how many people's lives does that touch? They mightn't be the greatest stage actor in the world by the time of graduation, and they might not get any great work on the stage. Most of them always want to be on the stage, I have to say. But if they go, you know, we discussed a little while ago about Penny Cook. If you remember what country practice did for this country, as a tel and so people at home in the West, all around, no matter where you lived, most people in this country had televisions. Yes. And therefore, I think that cultural influence of Australian television that used to be, or still is, fantastic, the Australian series, then our, tele our movie industry, uh, I think we could do better for that with that more so than the television industry. Uh, but I think that is something th that the arts do uh, uh, for, a community. For, for the community, for Australia. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter where you live, you can get some telly and you can watch something. I was fascinated to hear that you didn't read the plays. I don't, no. Do you have a favourite artistic form that you, the, the opera, the ballet, the theatre? Um, do you know what, I have to say, I like the ballet. Because I don't have to worry if they can't speak proper. <laughs> and I can sit back and watch, listen to the music. So I do enjoy dance. Um, and, I, and when I tried to analyse it once, I thought, yes, that's right. I don't have to worry about the voice. So, um, yes. so I guess you, you saw many, many student productions. Everyone. Yeah. Because I was the front of house manager for so long. Right, right. So <laughs> yes. you're aware of what was working and what, what wasn't working. Oh, on yes, stage. yes, 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 yes. So uh, do you consider yourself retired now? or I yeah, mean, the, you're obviously serving on a couple of boards, but yeah. is there an exciting project that might lure you back? No. No, you're quite happy no, to. And I would like to travel a bit more. I mean, I, I have friends and uh, I'm going away in May for a month and. And I do that every year. And I love living in Paddington. I love seeing the people I see. And uh, and as I said to you earlier, I'm going to Darwin to the, Dels uh, the Telstra Award this year. And Peter Cook was one of NIDA's great successes. Who's working in the States now, isn't he? Yes, he yeah. works. He's head of drama at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. And he runs a fantastic school. Dare I say, you know. At Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. Yes, and uh, 
I thought he might come back here, but he didn't. He was a great designer. He he taught. He taught, and it was because of the way the school was managed. I mean, at a dress rehearsal at NIDA, you would have every head of the department there, no matter who was directing the play, and notes were taken, and uh, the designer took one, the tech person took one, the crafts person took one, uh, notes all the way through, through to get those plays on and just to make them the best they could. Yes, it's curious, isn't it, to see those those great practitioners, whether they be actors or designers or directors or mm. whatever, they seem to have a period of great mm. accolade and then careers often wane. Yes. Uh, is theatre clubby? Is I it, think is it, it is. Cl- yes, I think it's cliquey and I think it's clubby because I think of lots of great directors who never sort of... I mean, Gail, to take as one, is not any work in the profession today. She was here visiting me yesterday. and But she directed Salome, the current production of Salome. She did the current production of La Boheme. She did Carmen on the Harbour. And a wonderful international career too. Oh, she yeah. worked uh, for Cameron Mackintosh. I don't know, for the National and Shakespeare. She did have a wonderful international career. Um, yeah. But I guess there are, there are new people coming into the industry every year in artistic directorship roles, mm. uh, a lot of graduates coming out which mm. are wanting to have a go. There's just so much competition, isn't there? So much competition. But on the other hand, people pay a lot of money to see it. So in my view, it has to be the best. That's what it should be. I mean, give people opportunities, but not in the really big... Let them work up into those bigger roles because um, that's what I... And Peter Cook, he knows how to do that in America. And one of the things that happened for NIDA in my time, we uh, had an exchange program with the theatre school in Delhi. And John used to go over and direct there and they would send someone back to Australia who may direct or who may teach or may just observe. I went several times to help them with their administration and that. But Peter, since he's been in America at Carnegie Mellon, he now still gets that invitation and he goes to Delhi every year. So this time, this year, I'm going to go to Delhi and meet up with him. While he does his teaching, I'm going to be there around. uh, Fantastic. So you're still maintaining those professional and personal relationships. Yes, 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 all the way through. Elizabeth, thank you so much for this conversation today on stage. It's my pleasure. You, you are one of our great artistic heroes in, in, in this country. Indeed, a mutual friend said to me, if we were in the UK, you'd be Dame Elizabeth Butcher by now. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, Not but, but uh, you are very humble and, um, you know... Um, but it was a wonderful career. It was a yeah. wonderful life. And, and I'm 80 now, and so I feel I can sit back and enjoy it and relax a bit. Don't you think? Enjoy the fruits of your labour, <laughs> as we all do. Oh, yes, yes, Thank you very yes. much. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Season 2 of The Stages Podcast. All episodes from this season and last are now available through iTunes and Spotify. Hear inspiring conversations with a range of folk who engage audiences, actors, directors, designers, playwrights, producers and drag queens. Everyone has a fascinating story, and you'll hear them here on Stages. I'm Peter Ayers, and thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. See you next time on Stages.